intrigued you, but you've never really known what to do with. I was thinking, I, I don't think that in my 40 years of church going, I have ever been in a church service when this book has been preached. This, this book unnerved me. So what do you do? Well, very simple. You go to Steve and say, I'd love to preach a sermon series on Song of Songs. And uh, that's pretty sure to make you knuckle down and engage with it. I can honestly say I have loved getting into this book. I found it hugely relevant for 21st century life in Britain. Uh, It's God's living word to us. Whether we're married, divorced, widowed, single, dating, whatever path God has allowed you to walk down at this time, God wants to speak to you, to, to each of us, through this book. So let me pray that God would do just that, and then Rachel is going to come and read for us. Uh, God, our Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, and thank you for the richness, the diversity of your word. Please, we pray, give us ears to hear you speak to us now, and hearts that delight in what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Not the easiest book in the Bible to find, Song of Songs, chapter 1, page 680. Uh, Just as we turn to it, listen out for the different voices. In the reading, as Rachel reads, you've got a, a he, a she, a friends. Those headings, they're not in the original Hebrew, but the NIV translators have put them in for us really helpfully based on the genders of the Hebrew words used. So they're, they're there to help us see how this love poem plays out. So have a listen as Rachel reads. Song of Songs, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, through to chapter 2, verse 17, and that's page 680. Solomon's Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold, studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my beloved. 
Oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse and awaken love until it so desires. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig trees forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding place of the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, Our vineyards are that are in bloom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. Thank you, Rachel, very much. I should say, originally, the, uh, the plan was to get different readers to read the different parts of the reading, he, she, friends. I thought that could really help us get into the, the flow of the poetry here. But then I played it through in my mind, and I pictured the he reader saying, how beautiful you are, my darling, oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves, and the she reader responding, how handsome you are, my beloved, oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. And I wasn't sure we'd get any readers volunteering for the, the following week. And the rest of us wouldn't have known where to look, would we? It's all quite steamy. It's like the moment when you're a teenager sitting on a sofa watching a film with a parent and it starts to get a bit steamy and you're left thinking, awkward, you're dying inside. It's great to have you with us this morning, Grafties. (laughs) Song of Songs is steamy. It's romantic, it's erotic, it's unashamedly about sexual intimacy. Now, over the years, people have trying to ignore that. They'll say, well, the Bible is about Jesus. So this is about Jesus. Ignore the sex. Um, and they'll, they'll turn the picture so that the two breasts, which are very prominent in the songs, they'll say, well, that's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and how do we know that? Well, the sachet of myrrh resting between the two breasts, verse 13 of chapter 1, that is Jesus who comes between the two testaments. That's very clever. But it's a bit like the Sunday school teacher who asks the kids, what small grey with a big bushy tail and is very good at climbing trees? And the silence in the Sunday school. And uh, finally, tentative hand goes in the air and says, um, I know the answer must be Jesus, but it really sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> it's a squirrel! Song of Songs is about sex, about intimate 
human relationships. It's not that it isn't about Jesus. Of course it's about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. It's just if we want to understand how it's about Jesus, we need to realize that first and foremost, Song of Songs is about sex. And it's by stepping into the rich emotion, the the deep intimacy of this love poem, that's where we'll learn more about Jesus. I hope we'll see that. But if I'm honest, I'm fearful. I'm fearful of causing hurt, of reopening old wounds, of creating new wounds. Because you'll know this. This is such a a painful area of human life. There is so much hurt and confusion here. Human sexual longings are an intertwining of good and glorious desires, but they're mixed with sinful and fallen desires. That, That will be true for each one of us this morning. Single, married, dating, divorced, widowed. There is goodness in our sexual longing. But we're all broken people, and so those desires will all be distorted in different ways for each of us. So how do we respond in our emotional confusion? As a single man, young single man, my attitude was very much to put sex in the bad box. Sort of, it's dirty, disgusting, don't do it. It wasn't that I wasn't interested, far from it. But I was so aware of my wrong desires, it just seemed simplest to say sex is bad. And yet here, here in his word to us, God has given us eight chapters of sexual longing. And more than that, the Apostle Paul, when he writes about the intimate love between husband and wife, he says, these are extraordinary words, but he says, Ephesians 5 verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I'm speaking about Christ and the church. Do you hear that? That, Those are stunning words. Sexual longing can't all be bad because in some profound way our sexual longing pictures Jesus' deep love and desire for you and for me. We'll think more about that as we follow the song through over the next few weeks. But we mustn't put sex in the bad box. However, equally, we can't put all sexual desire and expression in the good box. That was a massive misstep of the sexual revolution of the 1960s. They said anything goes. Free love, which promised fulfillment and joy. And yet half a century later, evidence of our society would testify that what resulted was actually slavery and loneliness. What God made to be good has in many ways become a destructive force in our society. The shame that comes from not conforming to the sexual stereotypes that are presented to us daily. The guilt that comes from embracing the lie of sexual freedom and forever carrying the scars of past hurt. You'll know this. My guess is that in some way, each of us here will will share in some of this hurt. So, So we mustn't let the pendulum swing all away. Sexual desire is not all bad, and it's not all good. You and I are a complicated blend of God-given good desires with selfish and sinful desires. 
And we need his word to straighten us out. So let's jump in together. We're going to look at these two chapters under just one main heading. I've called it the intoxicating joy of love. That's our main heading. And we'll conclude by thinking through how to long well, how to allow our desires to rightly lead us to Jesus. But let's begin with the intoxicating joy of love. And uh, follow with me. We're going to read through many of these verses again. I'm going to make comments as we go. I don't want to overanalyze it. It's poetry. But there are some things here we need to to see and understand. So chapter 1, verse 1, where we read Solomon's Song of Songs. And we need to be careful not to overread Solomon here. there There are lots of different ways that original line could be translated. King Solomon was the son of King David, um, but it's not clear if he wrote it, if it's written for him, or if it was simply written in the style of Solomon's wisdom literature. You see, King Solomon compiled the Proverbs. He was the great wisdom author. And personally, that's where I land. I think the references to Solomon in the song are figurative. Solomon's being pictured as the archetypal king figure, as the woman describes her beloved in kingly terms. It would seem quite odd that a a song, a poem, so focused on monogamous love could be written by a king who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. If, uh, If King Solomon was writing a love song, I think it'd probably go more like this. Forget your name, I forget your name. Jennifer, Allison, Philip, Sue, Deborah, Annabelle, too. I forget your name. Jennifer, Allison, Philip, Sue, Deborah, Annabelle, too. I forget your name. Showing my age there. Um, that would be Solomon's song. But actually, you read through Song of Songs, and it goes more like this. The Grafties are probably not heard of either of those songs. Um, You can see, I I can't see that it fits with Solomon as the author. It's very much trying to counter and correct Solomon's ways of doing relationships. So perhaps Song of Songs in the tradition of Solomon. And then the woman begins by speaking. Actually, the, the woman's voice is the main voice here. She speaks first, she speaks last. It seems to be her group of friends who are, are watching on and chiming in from time to time. And she begins, verse 2, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. You see all the, all the different senses being engaged in courtship here. Touch, taste, sound, smell. Sight will, will follow. Love has brought full sensual submersion. And then verse 4, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And you, you see the king language here, which I think is just a metaphor. But what you can't miss is the desire for sexual intimacy. And it obviously begs the question, well, are they married yet? Because this all seems quite intimate, and the Bible makes clear that the place for sexual intimacy 
is monogamous marriage between a husband and wife. Well, I think to assume a linear storyline, events in a neat and tidy order, is to misread Song of Songs. I don't think there's, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. It doesn't walk through courtship, wedding, consummation, married life. There is a, a wedding section in the middle of the song. But I, I think that's deliberate because Hebrew poetry puts the main event in the, in the middle of the poem. And the wedding is quite literally the climax here. You'll know the Bible begins with a wedding, Adam and Eve. A wonderfully human history ends with a wedding as Jesus Christ is fully and finally united with his church. You mustn't miss the importance of the wedding in the song. But, but don't assume linear events. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And then we hear from this group of friends who are rather unashamedly watching on. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. And it's a declaration of the goodness of this love, that they're beaming as they can see this, this couple's delight in each other. And we get that. You, you watch a good romantic movie and we sense the goodness as the couple prevails through the trials and they're able to get to the end and finally declare their love for each other. $250 million love actually grossed worldwide. And it's not a complicated plot. There is goodness. There is joy in romantic love. But it's not without its struggles. Look how the, the woman continues. She says, how right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedah, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. You see, in our culture, people will pay good money to have a great tan. You've got a lovely tan, we say, as people come back from, from holiday. But that's not true of every culture. And here, her, her tan points to her hardship because she's, she's been laboring in the sun. She continues, my, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard, she's speaking of her body there, my own vineyard, I had to neglect. That's very real, isn't it? Amidst the, the delights of the relationship, she has anxiety about her appearance. And there's also anxiety about how others perceive the relationship. She calls out to her lover, verse 7, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Do, do you catch the concern? She, she wants to go and surprise him as he... He takes his lunch break, tending his sheep. Another reason why I don't think this can be King Solomon. She wants to surprise him, but she doesn't know where he is. And she's fearful of just sort of wandering around on a hill looking, looking for a man, looking as though she, she's a prostitute seeking business in the middle of the day. It's not the look she's going for. And so the friends chime in, verse 8, If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. You see the solution? That's clever. Why don't you take some goats with you as you search? Then you can go from tent to tent, looking like a shepherdess, searching for your lover. 
The path of love is never smooth. Then we, we break from that scene, not, not linear events, remember, and, and we hear the man for the first time. And it's worth saying at this point, Blake's, um, this is not necessarily a wooing line to be repeated in 21st century Britain, because he begins verse 9 with, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. Now, that might not go down well today, but in that culture, it was a rich compliment. The woman's feeling insecure about her looks, and he declares, you are like one of the king's finest horses. If I'm the king, then you are the one whose beauty, whose splendor brings me honor. And she responds in kind, verse 12, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh. Resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. Now, notice how the song commends the importance of words within a relationship. These mutual affirmations are going to continue right to the end of the song. They're not going to stop, and yet we find it very easy to take each other for granted to forget to encourage and compliment and instead for words to become mocking and nagging. Actually, have you ever noticed what an ugly thing it is when a husband and wife pull each other down in public? As outsiders look on, there's there's a clear sense that is not the way things should be and we're disturbed. The encouragement of the song is for wooing to be a lifelong Activity between husband and wife. Then jump down to chapter 2, verse 1. Another great, great model here. She says, verse 1, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And, and these are ordinary flowers of the day she's going for. They sound good to us, but think perhaps, I'm just a buttercup. Nothing special. Sorry if you really like buttercups. But it's the insecurity speaking again. And so he responds, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Isn't that wonderful? He's saying, I only have eyes for you. To me, you are beauty. You and you alone. They're challenging words for us. We live in a world of false beauty and cheap beauty. But that destroys true beauty. So every day, Facebook, Instagram, TV adverts, they're, they're screaming at us, desire me. Long for, for me. And it, it damages our ability to enjoy true beauty. I think married men particularly, the, the gender here is probably significant. It's the man speaking. So married men, are, are you guarding your heart so that you can look at your wife and say, Like a lily among the thorns is my darling among the young women. You know that's hard. It will take active, prayerful devotion to determine to turn away from things that glisser and to set your heart on the one you have promised to love. Song of Songs gives us a glorious vision of human love, intoxicating joy of love, but 
Actually, it also highlights for us the many dangers to this love. And so we're going to end here with a brief final heading, learning to long well. And um, I want you to jump down to the end of chapter 2. I'm sorry we can't walk through every verse of the song. Do, do read through the rest of chapter 2. Uh, and read on the next couple of chapters before next week if you can. It will really help you get into the love song. And um, we'll see as we follow through. Chapter 2, verse 7 is a key verse in the song. Three times those words are repeated. We'll focus on it at the end of the song in a few weeks. Um, but I want to end this morning looking at verse 15 of chapter 2. It's one of the more obscure verses in the love song, but actually I found it really helpful to uh, think it through. Verse 15, probably the man speaking, although we can't be sure, but it reads, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Now, I did say it was obscure, Um, but we've got good clues. The woman's already described her body as a vineyard. In the middle of chapter 2, their blossoming relationship is described as flowers beginning to, to bloom in springtime. So the vineyard that's in danger of being ruined here seems to be the intimacy of this relationship, the, the intoxicating joy of love. And the threat is described as foxes. Foxes like eating grapes, I'm told. They, they eat most things, I think. But they would break into a vineyard at night and wreak havoc. And that's the picture here. It, it's a, a nighttime threat to their love. It's a hidden and silent danger. And my guess is, it's a threat you, you've already started to feel as we've read the song. You see, my great fear in, um, in spending four weeks in Song of Songs is that basically it has the ability to leave everyone thoroughly fed up and dissatisfied. So a married person reads through it and can think, well, this is, this is not my marriage. It sounds nice. I, I want what's written here, not what I have. Or, or someone who's single, maybe who, who's tasted these delights or has never tasted these delights, they can be left feeling, well, you know, it's all very well for smug, smug married. What about me? This is just rubbing my face in the pain. I wonder whether to all of us come the words, catch for us the foxes, the the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Because my guess is the biggest danger for all of us here is bitterness. A bitterness that comes from a deep dissatisfaction from the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Now, it won't be everyone. I don't want to be overly the voice of relational doom, but but it will be a danger for everyone. And it will just creep in. A fox at night. In all likelihood, we'll find some point along the path that God gives us to walk, where where we'll be crying out and saying, this is not okay. This this is not enough. Uh, And the dissatisfaction becomes a settled bitterness. And the bitterness kills off any hope of enjoying this love. It's such a common pattern. Dissatisfaction leads to bitterness. And bitterness kills off the hope of joy. That's the danger. But the puzzle is, I think Song of Songs is actually meant to leave us dissatisfied. 
You, you read it through and you think, it is too perfect a song. Yes, there are hints of difficulties, but actually, it's a pretty untarnished love song. So, so why? Is God blind to the brokenness and pain of human relationships? Or does he actually want to lay in every human heart, each one of us here today, does he want to lay a gentle dissatisfaction with even the best of human relationships? Does he want to shine a spotlight on the shadow to say it is just a shadow? All human relationships are just shadows. They're shadows of the great and glorious wedding that is to come. Is he saying to us, my son, my, my one and only son, he, he awaits you as the perfect spouse. Intimacy and joy that, that you long for, but which you can only glimpse. We've, we've got to read this book in that light. Because when we grasp that, it doesn't lead to bitterness, it leads to hope. It, it leads to us saying, my singleness is okay. It hurts, but it's okay, because I have a wonderful wedding to come, a marriage whose goodness I cannot even begin to comprehend. It leaves us saying that the hurt of my earthly marriage, the loneliness and the heartache, in God's grace, I'm going to let those hurts be the lenses that help me look to eternity, that remind me that this life is only just a breath, and real life, true, unmeasurable, unending love, that is to come. So, so let me urge you, if, if you know that bitterness, if you're, if you're feeling it, as we read through these chapters, maybe you're dreading this sermon series. Let Song of Songs bring you to a place of prayer. Allow it to reset your vision. Uh, and let that bitterness futile and destructive bitterness. Let it be transformed to the joyful hope that the gospel brings. Rachel's going to come and lead us in prayer.